0: This film is Guilty Until Proven Good.
1: Guilty Until Proven Innocent. Well, th- that, doesn't, that doesn't quite work. <laughs> <laughs> this is Movie Bite, a weekly show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, culture, and more. Today is Wednesday, January 23, 2013. I'm your host, TJ Draper, and I'm joined by my superhero-loving co-host, Joe Darnell.
0: Oh, no. You raised the bar. <laughs> Not I gonna have, let everybody down.
1: <laughs> that's right. I have raised the bar.
0: Thanks a lot.
1: Well, it's because of what you, some of the stuff you've put in the outline today.
0: Oh, okay. Well it's true. I am a Superman fan, superhero fan in general, but I am a mainly your DC comics superheroes fan in general. So there you go. Were you much of a Marvel fan growing up?
1: I wasn't. I, I you know, I was into, you know, different comic book movies or whatever, the original Superman series and and what have you? But uh, no, never was but big into comic books.
0: Well, see, I could never really get into the Marvel comic books because back when I was a kid, the big thing was the X Men cartoon television show. Okay, and when I when I saw saw a few episodes, I was just like, okay, well, this is a bunch of bull. It, it, it was uh, basically a new spin on uh, Captain Planet, and I was just like, ah, uh, really? You know, I mean, that, that's the way it seemed to me from the cartoon series, and I know that all the guys in school were into it, and I just looked at it, and I was like, really? There's no comparison between this and Superman and Batman and even Robin, for crying out loud. So I basically ignored the Marvel Universe apart from Spider-Man when I was a kid. And anyway, all that to say that I have... Yeah, I have been a fan of the supers, but I haven't been necessarily a fan of the comics. So I just assumed that the Man of Steel was based on comics. And it seems like uh, we just did a little bit of research about the Man of Steel coming out this May. And it doesn't look like it's actually based on a comic book, but perhaps the movie would get a comic book adaptation. It's interesting. I mean, I, I, you know, the Man of Steel, I figured, followed suit with The Dark Knight Rises and The Dark Knight in general, how it was based on a miniseries of Batman. And so I just figured there was a particular Man of Steel series that this this movie about Superman was based after. And it raises a big conflict, right? With the comic books and cartoons and the other movie adaptations of the Superman universe. Because, ladies and gentlemen, Jimmy Olsen is dot, 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 played by a girl for the Man of Steel. <laughs>
1: That's right. That's what I... Uh, posted uh, earlier today, actually, uh, I found this and I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And I, I, I'm not quite sure how I feel about this myself, actually. Uh, yeah, there's
0: obviously mixed emotions involved because a lot of people have been unsatisfied by Jimmy Olsen for many, many years. But uh, Slash Film reported how comic book movie website noticed that IMDb lists a uh, actress Buller. Uh, Is it the the identifier? I would have assumed Bueller. Bueller? Okay. Bueller as playing the character named Jenny Olsen with no listing for Jimmy Olsen in sight for the casting list. So IMDB isn't always 100% accurate, but they get things right more often than not. And if they're not going to even bother to list Jimmy Olsen at this point, it seems obvious that Jenny Olsen has to be the replacement.
1: It, it does seem obvious. I, I just can't help but wonder, though, like, is it really Jimmy Olsen replacement? Is it maybe uh, his sister or something? Who knows? But it, it, it seems it seems like this is going to get the purists up in arms. You know, I don't know. I, I'm not – like, I don't have to be a purist about things. There are some things I would be like. But as you or I were talking before the show, we're thinking, okay, what if this was in one of our super favorite genres? Uh you know like uh, for instance uh i'm a big star trek fan what if this was a star trek character i'm trying to think of the appropriate star trek character that this could be applied to because you know one of the bigger characters obviously isn't going to change they're not going to change superman's gender <laughs> or, or suddenly it would be superwoman <laughs>
0: yeah well they kind of already tried that back in the 60s and but they didn't them replace the, the, own spin-off. this exactly. seems like
1: they, they're talking yeah. about replacing Very jimmy olsen right and i just i don't know i've i've You know, Jimmy Olsen's kind of annoying, but you always kind of like him to some extent. And I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about this.
0: Well, I don't think enough was ever done with Jimmy Olsen. And he was the young guy at the Daily Planet. There was the old guy, Perry White, the, you know, star ace reporter, Clark Kent. And then there was the star ace reporter, Lois Lane. Now, the young whippersnapper isn't the geeky guy, Jimmy Olsen. It's the. The other good-looking female at the Daily Planet, Jenny Olsen, who obviously kind of competes for the attention of Lois Lane, if you ask me. Assuming that they downplay the character in the film, then Jenny Olsen cannot compete with Lois Lane. But the actress, um, Bueller, to me actually is more of a resemblance to the traditional... Appearance of Lois Lane than Amy Adams, who is playing Lois Lane, matches right. Lois Lane. So it's kind of annoying to me that.
1: Well, I hadn't considered that angle. I mean, yeah. maybe maybe they are going for uh the uh kind of a, a rivalry love interest. I don't know. That would be dumb. <laughs> oh, but.
0: please, God forbid. <laughs> because Amy Adams is, you know, she's a fabulous actress, and I I don't know about Bueller. I haven't seen her, or I haven't been aware of it before. You know who I would have liked to have seen to play Lois Lane would have been uh, I think her name is Eliza? Eliza Dushku?
1: Oh, that's who, an interesting thought.
0: Oh, heck yeah. Um, she play, was the star in uh, the Dollhouse TV show. Yeah. And I I keep uh, a track of her film career. She's playing in some other thing pertaining to vampires now, which I'm not interested in, but I, I still track with her career a little bit. And I just think that she would have been a shoe in if they would have given her the, you know, consideration, thoughtful consideration. She, she, yeah, she's a good, she's a decent likeness to Lois Lane and she's about the right age. Hmm. Oh, well, we'll never well, get but our I'm, fantasy.
1: I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Amy Adams as Lois Lane though, personally, because I like Amy Adams as an actress and I've liked everything she's been in that I've seen. So, you know, yes, but I've, I, I should I say I have liked her and everything I've seen her in.
0: Right, and uh, but you know, kind of like the casting of what was her name? Uh, who played Mrs. Fantastic? Do you remember? No idea. Um. Anyway, look her up real quick. I her. Uh. uh is, oh yeah, Jessica Alba. Jessica Alba just didn't seem right for the part at all. She she can act okay at times, but usually she doesn't. And Amy Adams, she always acts okay, but sometimes she gets cast in the wrong parts. Yeah. And I've seen I've seen this multiple times. So Amy Adams, I feel as Lois Lane, is probably casting the wrong part. And the movie will have to prove me wrong. But if uh, we had had someone else to at least be able to act decently and sell the likeness of Lois Lane, I'd have been more happy
1: eh, we'll with see. someone else. But I think this this just proves uh, you know, with all the uncon- they're making a lot of unconventional casting choices with Lawrence Fishbourne uh, Amy Adams. And now Jenny Olsen, uh, you know, the only one who looks conventional yes. is Superman himself. And you kind of can't change him, but anywho, shall yeah. we, shall we move on? Sure.
0: Heck Iron enough.
1: man three is coming to IMAX. Wasn't shot for IMAX, but it's coming to IMAX. You wanted to, uh, I, I think you were unhappy about this from what well, I could I'll, gather.
0: Yeah. And I'll contest any movie that comes to IMAX screens that isn't made with IMAX cameras. See, you are. did you happen to see any of the Dark Knight films in IMAX? I did not. Okay, here's the deal. Christopher Nolan's a pretty smart director, and I love him as a director. I think he's done fabulous films. Enough said. But where he has many shortcomings is when it comes to whether or not to use IMAX cameras consistently. And he really made um, the case that several action scenes throughout his first three or his three Batman films should be done um, with IMAX cameras. So if you watch the Dark Knight films, you'll notice that, oh, see, that's a thing you won't because of the way they have been formatted for Blu-ray and DVD. But here's the deal. Several of the action scenes in the Dark Knight films were actually shot with IMAX cameras. So if you saw them in IMAX screens, which they all were made available on IMAX screens, then those action scenes would actually be a heck of a lot better, superior to all the rest of the scenes in an IMAX screen. Those, you know, dramatic scenes, those scenes that were not action heavy. Yeah. So, as you're watching the narrative, maybe there's a scene between Alfred and Bruce talking in the Batcave or something, and then the very next thing is some crazy chase in the streets with Joker and the Batmobile or the Bat Cycle and a truck flipping over. And in that moment, all of a sudden in the IMAX screening, the picture is glorious. It's super clean, and it fills the IMAX screen from top to bottom. And true IMAX screens are actually... Uh, four by three aspect ratio
1: or closer to four by three. Anyway, they're not Close. actually four yeah, by three.
0: right, right. They're closer. Thank you. And so in those moments, the film would really capture the power of a good I- IMAX display. And then for the rest of the film, it was just true to widescreen film and you're not getting your money's worth. I mean, when you get into an IMAX screen, like for a really decent, you know, documentary, perhaps narrated by Morgan Freeman or something, you expect the entire film to be an IMAX. And then, if they want to adapt it to be a sixteen by nine aspect ratio later for a Blu-ray release, then they can knock themselves out. But why, why not film the entire film in IMAX and present it in IMAX just the way it should be?
1: Well, because uh, it's super expensive, for one thing. But i i never saw the <clears throat> I never saw the um, appeal of shooting. You're right. It's the kind of the one thing that has annoyed me about the Batman series. I never saw the appeal of shooting. Some things in IMAX and other things not in IMAX. I mean, I yeah. just don't get it. Just shoot the whole thing more consistently. And and it is a little bit jarring that way. Um, so that is a failing for sure. It, it kind of bugs me.
0: Perhaps what film filmmakers should be doing is rather than pursuing the gimmick that is 3D, they should try to master all their films in IMAX. And I think that more often than not, the critics and the audiences would be happy to see an epic film like an Iron Man film truly filmed in IMAX, presented in IMAX on an IMAX screen, and then you you'd have just a much more powerful uh cinematic appeal yeah. a reason to go see it in an IMAX theater which it would be far superior than a standard film
1: see i'm i'm not all i have mixed feelings about IMAX like i love the largeness of the format and the clarity and the huge you know shooting format but i am a fan of widescreen true widescreen films uh is it uh the standard is two, two, uh, 235 to 1 or something like that um mm, or i i, I yeah. don't quote me on that i could be wrong but it's it's very wide and Clearly noted and uh, i i much prefer that I, I i really am not a big fan of the closer to 4 by 3 aspect of imax so i have mixed feelings about it like i wish there was a large format that was as widescreen as, as most of your films are mm. so but in any event in any event uh, IMAX Corporation and Marvel Entertainment a division of the Walt Disney Company today announced that Marvel's Iron Man 3 the latest installment in the film franchise that has grossed more than 1.2 billion at the box office will be here's the key digitally remastered into the immersive IMAX 3D format. So it wasn't uh-huh. shot for 3D at all and so it's going to be remastered into the IMAX format. You'll you know so it won't look like as good as other films that have been shot IMAX but it will look somewhat better I suppose.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think anybody who is a uh, fan of superheroes is probably ex- a, a little knowledgeable about action figures. Here's a great comparison for you, the, uh, those that that understand a good action figure from a bad one. You get this six inch Spider Man action figure who might have twelve to sixteen points of articulation, and then if you get a twelve inch to eighteen inch action figure of spider-man you expect there to be a few more points of articulation my friends (laughs) so uh, if you're getting that bigger doll that bigger action figure sorry if you're getting that that bigger action figure you want like 60 points of articulation but if if uh, uh, if there aren't those then what's the point you know it's just a collectible that serves no um special features and that's how i feel about an imax screening of a a traditionally filmed film. It's just, you just blew it up. and, for, and you, But you added n- no extra zest besides the fact that it's just bigger. More of the same. So, that you can charge me a bigger price.
1: Yeah, I don't completely disagree. I'm not planning on seeing it in IMAX. I will see it in its native format.
0: At least with the gimmick that is 3D, you're actually getting something that took a lot well, more effort well this is
1: film. IMAX 3D though they're digitally remastering an IMAX 3 what <laughs> I don't know for sure was, I, I was I'm gonna assume that Iron Man was probably shot stereoscopically for 3D but you know I don't, it, yeah, I, don't yeah. I don't I don't I don't have that information for sure so
0: mm. in all likeliness it's not but oh okay in all likeliness I mean just like I said even if The Dark Knight Rises isn't then why should this film be and, but you know then again that, well be,
1: I, I think because there's a big push for 3D but mm. in any event Let's move on.
0: Sure. Okay, so Honest Trailers releases The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Honest Trailer. And this is so funny because, well, it makes fun of a terrible film, and Honest Trailer just rocks. They're not necessarily as great as Cinema Sins, but they are always pretty dang funny.
1: Yeah, and I I really... You know, it's the the ones that are... I appreciate the ones that are of films that I actually liked to some extent, but the ones that are of films that I didn't like, such as King with a Crystal Skull, th- they rock. They really do. I- I'm kind of missing – they they've changed voiceover, guys, and I'm kind of missing the the guy that used to do the voiceovers for Honest Trailers. But this is still pretty funny. I- it was pretty side-splitting. I-, I was laughing quite a bit. Yeah, b- <laughs> Her- uh, by far. Starring Harrison Board.
0: <laughs> yeah. You, you know, by far, my favorite of the honest trailers are probably those mocking the Twilight films, even though I, I think that they are brutal, but they're also, also br- brutally accurate. Um, yeah. Even though I appreciate the Twilight stories in general. But uh, so with The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, they're, uh, man, they they were just so right on on so many points. A little bit more crude humor than I'd care for normally. Because yeah, but it just kind of takes away coarse. from the value of true you know, decent persuasive criticism, but yes, it's still very true. And I agreed with most of the, the comical (laughs) relief uh, added to this trailer's critique.
1: Yeah. And, and and the crude humor is part for the course with honest trailers, but yeah, it'll, it'll be in the show notes. You should, you should, it's pretty funny. You should check it out.
0: Uh, Next. We have uh, the emperor trailer, which stars Tommy Lee Jones and Matthew Fox, Matthew Fox from lost. Yes. Tommy Lee Jones from, well, just epic about movie
1: greatness?
0: Yeah, epic movies, yes.
1: Yeah. Uh, straight, <laughs> now, straight, fresh from Lincoln. you brought,
0: Yeah, now you brought this film up because uh, you discover the trailer, right? Where'd you where'd you happen across this? Have you seen
1: it in theaters yet? Well, you know, I comb lots of movie news every day uh, to find- Why would you,
0: why do you do that, TJ?
1: I do it because I curate the site called Movie Byte. You can oh, go to moviebyte.com and you can find every single day, I will post four to five to six Things And some of those will be links. Some of them will be trailers. Some of them will be news. Just whatever I find that I think will be interesting to me and to the movie by audience. And so that's what I post. I I go through a lot. I wade through garbage. I put on my big hip waders to keep from getting completely soaked with all the nastiness and stupid. Nastiness is the wrong word, but just stupid news out there. Uh, and I find the interesting tidbits. Either it's it's interesting and funny or I want to make fun of it. <laughs> And so, anyway, I happened across the trailer for Emperor, and uh, I had not heard of this film yet, and I thought, wow, this this actually looks really good. And, and you, you know what, you, you you're absolutely so too. right.
0: Yeah, it I took me by surprise, because, you know, Matthew Fox hasn't made all that many films, not that all that many interesting films, and Tommy Lee Jones is certainly an old actor, and, you know, he's got some good stuff uh, in recent years, but... When you hear about a film production that you know nothing about, about a story that you know nothing about, and it stars Matthew Fox and Tommy Lee Jones, what is this, right? So you're kind of of speculative going into the trailer, and you know what? I don't know why I haven't seen this trailer in theaters yet, because this film is coming out in March, and it's based on true events, and Tommy Lee Jones is playing General MacArthur, and that's just fascinating. I, I like when I started watching this trailer. It instantly occurred to me, you know what? Tommy Lee Jones has a fabulous likeness to the general. And he might be a little bit old for the role, but come on, let's be honest. It it, it looks like he could be made for this role. And the film looks like it's certainly a more interesting war movie to me than most. I'm not big on war movies.
1: Well, I'm not sure that it's actually a war movie, though. It's it's post-World War II, is it not? I mean, that's the whole premise of the plot.
0: Yeah, I guess so, but it seems like it's a, you know, borderline discussion. War- and
1: wartime or po- just post-wartime, like it's still in the air.
0: It's just dis- the discussion of whether or not we should have more war. And it's, it, it's nice that it's about the logistics of war and not so much about the combat on the ground. But yeah, it, so that to me is more interesting. So, you know what? The trailer's fabulous. If you haven't seen this, certainly it's something to look forward to. And I don't know, it's probably going to be the movie highlight of March for me. Not... You know Oz and the Great and Powerful. I'll be more, much more interested in in Emperor, as it's simply called.
1: I'm interested in Oz the Great and Powerful too, but mm. uh, that's neither here nor there. I okay. I am interested in this film. Now you want to give us a sneak peek at your review. Now, now wait for it, guys. Wait for it. Hang on. Backup. Let's 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 stop and and talk about this for a minute you went and saw a film you did not consult me about this i could have warned you (laughs) i could have saved you from this pain you went and saw a film starring arnold schwarzenegger
0: called called the last stand
1: Uh now i could have saved you from this terrible awful pain that you've gone through joseph
0: Oh call you you,
1: on. you have underestimated i think when you when you went to see this film, you underestimated the pain that he can inflict upon viewers from his bad acting <laughs> like it's so bad that it hurts,
0: and then some people think to themselves, but they fight through the pain and then they get a high from it
1: um, i I have nothing to say to those people
0: <laughs> well, uh, did you ever see any of the you know? The oh shoot. How can I? My mind slipped for even a second. Uh, the The Terminator films.
1: I've seen bits and pieces of them. Oh,
0: TJ, enough come to know on. that I have
1: no interest in seeing Schwarzenegger act in those films.
0: Oh, he's so bad. TJ. He's terrible. It's so terrible. It's great. Uh,
1: the, <laughs> I, I will admit, I. I about the only thing that I find interesting about this film or or almost like not interesting, but I get a laugh out of it is when I see the trailer for the Last Stand, and they come to that scene where uh, uh, Schwarzenegger's character is thrown through the the uh wall into the bar, and he says, "You all right, sheriff, how do you feel?" And he says, "Old yes, <laughs> That's well, pretty okay." Funny. Yeah,
0: well, here's just a, a quick sneak preview of my review. People that watch Arnold Schwarzenegger movies probably don't bother to read movie reviews, and <laughs> and okay, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to insult anyone because that said you're not profiling I, or anything. I am. I am not profiling. <laughs> I'll leave that up to my wife. But uh, that said, <laughs> I've watched several films of Arnold's, and here I am reading and writing reviews all the time. With that in mind, I'll imagine that Arnold's fans are the good folks reading my review tomorrow. So I'll let you know how this film compares to his others. And note also that Arnold is getting up in years, like you've already said, and The Last Stand will continuously remind you of it. He is a 65-year-old bodybuilder, and so where he does not look fit, he looks flabby. And when he's not (laughs) squashing thugs like bugs, he's aching because his joints are sore. And that seems to be uh, a nice little mix-up and mash-up. So, I don't know. Something just told me that somebody out there would be interested in reading a review about this movie rather than wading through it and seeing it in theaters. And, uh, you know, so if you're one of those Schwarzenegger die-hard fans, then...
1: Well, but, but and, Joseph, you know, think about what you've done, done to you me, though, right? Review. Like, okay... I run Movie Byte. I have no interest in this film. I'm not going to see this film. I didn't want to read anything about it, but now I must. I have to read because it's being posted on my site. I have to read it, right? Think oh, about, come on. You, did not con- you had no consideration for me.
0: Oh, come on. Oh, come on.
1: <laughs> All right. Okay.
0: Have a, have a little
1: heart for as a I As I have said before, as is the title of one of our podcast <laughs> episodes in the past, Schwarzenegger can't act. That's the end of the story, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Truer words were never thought.
1: (laughs) Thought? Okay. (laughs) Okay, we, we should stop beating this dead horse, and we should talk about Broken City.
0: Yes. Now, this is a film that was worth watching because it has all these amazing stars in it, and the trailer actually looked a little gripping. Now, what was your first impressions of the film?
1: Uh, I liked it. I liked it a lot, and hmm. I, I, you, you led me astray. I didn't realize you were going to give it a two star rating. I, I'm, I'm much higher <sighs> than that. But you understood.
0: You... <sighs> okay. So,
1: anyway, I, I like Broken City. Now I have to ask: Am I the only person who's ever noticed that Mark Wahlberg bears a striking resemblance to Matt Damon?
0: Uh, you might be.
1: You don't? You, I, don't you agree? <laughs>
0: No, it's not like I'd ever mistake them for being brothers or anything. Oh, I can no, see so why yeah, you brothers, that. Oh, no, brothers,
1: yes, I would totally call them, I, I could mistake them for being brothers. Now, I wouldn't, I, it's not such a resemblance that I could think they're the same person, but he looks a lot like Matt Damon.
0: Okay, fair enough. I could see that either one of them would suit the same roles. If Matt Damon weren't born, you know, I could see Mark Wahlberg. Well,
1: no, don't, don't get all blasphemous now.
0: Oh, okay. So if if we we wanted to get into the nitty-gritty, you don't see how they're all that similar.
1: Well, I didn't say that. I just born and and Matt Damon are inseparable. That's all.
0: Okay, well, I'll grant you that perhaps the the greatest equivalent. Uh, did you ever see Shooter with Mark Wahlberg? I haven't. You should. That is by far my favorite film with him, and I I mentioned that in my written review of uh, Broken City today that Mark Wahlberg just he just <laughs> He really did a bang-up job as uh, the shooter in Shooter. And that's really what convinced me that he was a star performer and, you know, he he excels. Now, the funny thing about Mark is, uh, well, I'll get to that in a few minutes.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm okay. getting into of myself. <laughs> okay. Why don't we talk a little <laughs> bit more about the generalities of this film like we normally do before we get into the nitty-gritty?
1: Okay, go ahead. Go for it. All
0: right, so first off, people... Um, it released January eighteenth, Broken City that is. And uh it had a budget of fifty five uh That's just an estimate. And uh it had a opening weekend of eight million two hundred and sixty eight thousand nine hundred and eight dollars, according to box office mojo. So uh whoever that was that spent eight bucks on a ticket they just, you know, broke the another one hundred million you know, the, the I just find it funny, right? You know, of all the information, st- statistical information they could possibly provide, that they they can tell us that for opening weekend this film made eight million two hundred sixty eight thousand nine hundred eight dollars. <laughs> <Right. You> know. <laughs> that cracks me up. But then, uh, I mean, of course, many movie websites do that. I'm not. Sp- I'm not picking on Box Office Mojo. No, it's actually funny. pretty common.
1: It's funny.
0: It is funny. So, box office uh, grand totals to date are $9,459,459. So, uh, the movie's on to a good, a good start. Um, I have a hard time imagining that in theaters it's going to cover its costs, but that's just me. I mean, because someone like me is not recommending it to his friends. Yeah, someone well, like UTJ not- is.
1: It's frankly not looking like it's going to get there at it, with only nine million so far at a fifty five million dollar budget. It's it's not looking good.
0: No, but you know, it seems like there is a lot of people out there that have mixed feelings about some of the cast. You know, uh, it seems like I can't think of anyone who dislikes Mark Wahlberg, but then again, maybe you dislike him for action films. Who knows? But then there are those detractors from Russell Crowe and Catherine Zeta Jones. And, you know, maybe you don't go in to see every movie and start, you know, with uh, Jeffrey Wright. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, who's Jeffrey Wright? Exactly. So, um, there you go. That is what Broken City is. Uh, Do you you mind if I go ahead and uh, describe the filmmaking a little bit about the filmmaking? No, go film? Okay, Broken City is a 2013 American crime film starring Mark Wahlberg and Russell Crowe. The film was directed by Alan Hughes and written by Brian Tucker. Wahlberg stars as a police officer turned private investigator, and Crowe stars as the mayor of New York City who hires the investigator to investigate his wife. The film is Hugh's first solo feature film directing effort. He has collaborated with his twin brother Albert in previous films. Allen met Tucker in 2010 and learned about Tucker's spec script, which had languished in development hell, as they put it. Uh, since Mandate Pictures attempted to produce a film in 2008. When I say a film in 2008, they actually mean this film in 2008. But that's Wikipedia for you. The word, I got this information. Under a partnership between Emmett Furla Films and Regency Enterprises, Hughes began production in 2011 in New York City and Louisiana. So much of this film was actually filmed in location, New York City, so good for them. The film was released in theaters on January 18th, 2013, my father's 57th birthday.
1: And that's you, Joseph, saying, my father's 57th birthday.
0: Yeah, that's that's not public knowledge on Wikipedia.
1: Oh, well, bummer. (laughs) It should be.
0: It's not in the description of Broken City, so...
1: Okay, well, I, uh... I have to ask you, Joseph, you, you, you gave this film just two stars. Why? What's wrong with you? Why didn't you like this film?
0: Okay, most of the acting was terrible. The plot was all over the place, hard to follow. It felt like it was slow. It dragged it pace- places. And some of the subplot material, I just didn't care for at all. The main plot okay, was well- interesting. It seemed like a great concept. I just didn't like its execution.
1: Well you're you're entitled to your wrong opinion.
0: Thank you. You're entitled to yours too DJ. I I swear you're always welcome.
1: Uh okay. Well, I I mean I uh, we're going to have to get into specifics because I don't compl- I I just don't agree. Uh I Okay, this, no, I I, I would love for you to. I I, I, I
0: I yeah, that, that's my summation. You go ahead. Get get specific. You know, you got to make the the case for why this film is good.
1: Okay, I guess well, I guess that it, yeah, it's on my shoulders. Hopefully I'll I'll do it some justice. Um
0: This film is guilty until proven good.
1: Guilty until proven innocent. Well, th- that doesn't that doesn't quite work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um so I enjoyed this film almost more than I enjoyed Gangster Squad. Now I wrote the official review on moviebite.com for Gangster Squad and I gave it three and a half stars. I don't feel like I want to give Broken City four stars, so I'm only giving it three and a half, but uh Man, I, I almost want to give it four stars. I mean, because it was, it was a fantastic film. My only real complaint with this film... Actually, you mentioned another one in your review that I thought, eh, I could go with that. But but the biggest complaint was that the the, the plot was a little bit hard to follow at times. There was a little bit of complexity to it. But there are some things that you mentioned I thought, no, I, I don't agree with that at all. Like, you, you had a problem with Russell Crowe's acting. I thought he was fantastic. Like, that was one of the highlights of the film, to me, was Russell Crowe, especially... After coming out of Les Miz*, where I felt Russell Crowe was just terrible, um, and then we, and then I come into this film, and it's like, oh, there's the Russell Crowe I love right there. There he is. I, I like him. Uh, so I, I don't know what your problem was. I felt like he actually poured some heart and soul into this role, unlike in Les Miz*, where he felt very aloof and distant from the role, like uh, he was just going through the motions. So I'm mm-hmm. not quite sure what your problem with Russell Crowe was in this film.
0: Well, you know, to me, it was that his acting was okay, but it seemed like he was overacting for the role. Uh, he plays a a somewhat arrogant jerk that is mayor of New York City. Somewhat? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. There is actually a very thin veil over his portrayal as being arrogant. Um, you know, it seems like he he gets up and uh, at one point in the film, he uh, he debates with another mayoral candidate.
1: And again, and I and that, thought it was—I thought it was fantastic to, to show what was going on there, and and not even the moderator of the debate. And again, you know, this is all part of the story that the moderator of the, of the debate wasn't doing anything about it. He was just letting him go. It, it was showing to me that he had the the city kind of tied up. And, yes,
0: the debate actually demonstrated that the character Russell was portraying has the wherewithal to to uh, you know to fool everybody. Uh, to uh, to have, you know, the city of New York City wrapped around his finger. Yeah. Um, and it was obvious that based, based on the film, there was no bones about it from the very beginning and from the trailer that he was going to play the villain, the starring villain in this film. Uh,
1: no, but you, here's, you, here's the thing, though. Um, from the trailer, you are correct. But from the beginning of the film, you don't necessarily get that. Like you can see how maybe he's not that corrupt if, if it hadn't been for the trailer. And this is this is again this is your this is the love hate relationship with trailers. And I I know so many uh I, I've, especially you gotta wonder with this director being his first film if he had much control over that trailer because I know uh, going back to a subject that I care a lot about uh, uh Star Trek Leonard Nimoy in his first directing job of a feature film Star Trek three Paramount released a trailer that he was not at all happy with it it showed too many details it showed the Enterprise being destroyed. I'm sorry if you haven't Ooh. seen Star Trek Three yet.
0: Oh, spoiler alert!
1: Ouch! <laughs> no, come on. This is 1985, <laughs> 84, something like that. When Star Trek Three yeah, yeah. came out, so it's not. A, it was a joke, but uh, yeah, it showed the the trailer. Well, it can't be spoiled because the trailer shows it. The trailer showed the Enterprise getting destroyed, blown up, and and he he did not. He he fought that tooth and nail, but he had no clout with the studio, and so I wondered the same thing happened here because in the very first part of the film, you don't get. To me, I didn't I didn't see necessarily that Russell Crowe was a villain, and that the mayor was a villain. It's not, and you're not sure about that even. Just if, putting the trailer aside, you're not sure about that even until you you start getting until you see the guy dead on the street, and then you're like, okay, for sure, he's the villain now. Mm. But
0: I I totally disagree um, because there was a, uh, you know here's the thing: uh, it was near maybe the end of Act One or so when there was this very straight up scene where Mark Wahlberg playing detective Billy Taggart is investigating the mayor's wife and trying to find out whether or not she is in an affair or not. And just like the mayor suspects. So he happens to be at a beach house where the suspected love interest of the affair is uh, waiting on a special woman. And then that special woman happens to call him and he's on the phone with her and Ooh, Billy Taggart's getting some, Investigative you know private eye type photos he, he tucked away in the bushes he 's you know peering over and getting some pictures, and then lo and behold, the mayor 's wife shows up and sure enough, she approaches this uh man um, very friendly and you you can only assume the worst aha, they must be in an affair, it must be true, and then they go into their beach house and they close the blinds ah oh, it 's so obvious. And it was just so predictable at that point. It seemed like it was, it was too obvious that that was what the story was trying to convey. There was no nuance to the scene. Y- yeah. And
1: I think that it was the was point. So... See, I think you're missing the point here. The point is that wasn't what was going on. But you thought, oh man, this is a cliched movie. Look at that. That's what's going on. But it wasn't. That's the point. You you've missed the point, man.
0: I, but that's the thing. It was it was predictable in the fact that it was it pegged that. Uh, th- that the mayor's story was true. So, so obviously true, but therefore it couldn't be true.
1: Uh, okay. I suppose I, I I don't, I mean, it's like, it's,
0: it said here is a dead giveaway that the twist later in the story is actually not going to be a surprise because it's the Mm -hmm. only surprise that could possibly be that now we have made, we've developed so concretely that the wife is most definitely having an affair. It was like, well, now you've just spoiled the twist because there was no ambiguity there was no um debate there so uh i guess that's what i'm saying is that to me by that the end of that scene near the end of act one it was so obvious that this film was uh giving away uh i don't want to say cliche it wasn't cliche, but it was definitely predictable to me, because I knew whatever they were trying to make me believe early on was definitely what it was not going to end up being as well, a detective story.
1: You, like I said, you're entitled to your wrong opinion.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so tell me some more about what you liked about it. I will definitely say kudos to Marky Mark. I, I
1: think oh, yeah, Walberg was, was fantastic. He was fantastic. Um, you know, And I agree with you in your review uh, on Movie Byte that um, – uh, Katie Bradshaw, played by Alona Tall, uh, Alona Tal, Tal, Tal yeah. whatever. Um, I, I think her role was good. Um, now, you know, I'm, I'm kind of jumping back and forth here. It's just it's fresh on my mind, so I'll talk about it a little bit. I I do agree with you. That was my other dislike. I do agree with you that the storyline involving uh, Wahlberg's um, Billy Taggart's uh, girlfriend slash I don't think they were married, but they were living together. Uh, that storyline was a little confused and unnecessary, even. And they were trying to give him a love interest, but I think the the love interest would have been much more. Like I think what detracted from Katie the the role that Katie Bradshaw played was the fact that he had someone that he was supposed to be being faithful to, and so you can't. At least I don't feel didn't feel like I could root for saying okay, well these two need to be together because he's with somebody else. That, that whole storyline, and it never went anywhere. It, it never went anywhere. So I will agree with you on that point, that, yeah, that, that was a little bit of a strange, odd writing choice. Like, what was she doing in that film? She should have been cut. Now, I suppose because it ties in her family, the story of, of what happened between Wahlberg, uh, uh, Billy Taggart, I keep forgetting the character's name, uh, what happened with Billy Taggart, and the reason he got together with her uh, had to do with that storyline. So it was a little bit tied in yeah uh, and and again this the 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 difficulty of explaining it and i'm sorry folks i'm i am having difficulty explaining it i is because as I mentioned earlier, the complicated plot line uh that yeah. that is a bit of a problem which which is why I only give it three and a half stars as opposed to more you know where I didn't want to go to four um so that you know that's a little bit of a problem, but it so, wasn't enough of a problem to to stop me from enjoying it
0: so what did you say you'd actually give this as a star rating three and a half Three and a half? Honestly, goodness, wow! Because, uh, okay, so I'm just trying to compare this to uh, the film we haven't discussed yet that we are going to bring up here in a few minutes, Gangster, Gangster Squad. Squad. Yeah, because okay, now you review Gangster Squad. Um, I don't want to really delve into the dive into, I guess, the review for that film just yet. But no. you're giving that one three and a half stars as well,
1: right? And it's it's almost like I wish the scale uh, had more. We could go more decimal points <laughs> because our scale basically is. You know, three, three and a half, four, four and a half. It goes in halves. I wish okay. that I could, you know, give Broken City like a three point seven and Gangster Squad like a three point four or something. But so you see huh. what I'm saying. I, I I enjoy Broken City just a little bit more, but I, it's not say I didn't enjoy Gangster Squad. Mm. So, um, yeah, I I found it to be, and and see, this is the thing where Broken City had a little bit of action and a lot of plot, and that's what I want from a movie in the, for the most part. Yes. So um, sure.
0: Yeah, because the thing is, when action is heavy-handed, that might be something I could say, but I didn't feel like it was. Uh, uh, well, that's neither here nor there. But the thing is, in the in the context of what you just said, I, I totally agree that a a good drama excels with just a little hint of action, and actually, good action films excel if they can play down the action and improve upon the drama. And it seems like action I- is more about. Um, It works when it comes in uh, quick bursts throughout a film rather than, you know, staging a little bit of drama around large chunks of action like a Michael Bay extravaganza.
1: No, please.
0: (laughs) Uh, This film was um, decent for playing down the action as much as possible. Perhaps one of the, the more interesting scenes was one that was very brief in action where uh the detective Taggart is in a house and he is uh he is kind of uh, forced into a situation when he has to to, pr- to protect someone he doesn't exactly want to and this uh un- unknown intruder breaks into the house and it turns out to be someone he is acquainted in in the business profession of you know p- private investigation and security and uh And so he actually has to take out somebody in the house who just broke in that he actually knows, not just another thug, mind you, but something he actually knows in the business and they have to fight fist you know fist and fist and with gun to gun at, at point blank ranges and uh you know detective taggart wins in the in the struggle but it's very brief and <laughs> it was kind of funny because here he, he's taking on a much bigger guy who is a uh you know, <laughs> who's very intimidating and uh mark Wahlberg as detective taggart he's just a little guy but he he does <laughs> he, a fine job and that scene was very fun But again, it was just a brief moment of action and it was fused with drama so that there was some playful dialogue there. But then the very, the end of that scene again, was just another great example of where I felt that the plot weakened the film dramatically because detective Taggart just shoots this guy in the knee. And then he leaves the, uh, the, 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 uh, the guy he was defending upstairs Assumably walks out of the building at night where he's just shot the guy in the knee and goes and gets into his car with his girl Friday and drives off but why would he do that he's a private investigator he just shot a security guy who had broken into this house. That guy isn't dead and he's not unconscious and and he left the guy upstairs who was freaking out because somebody had just broken into his house and then you don't know if uh he had to give a report to the police you don't know if. He, if the police ever arrived, you don't know if that other guy he shot got to the hospital or anything. And then a little bit later in the film, Mayor Hostetler is uh, debating uh, you know, his evil deeds with Detective Taggart. And he says something to the effect that uh, he is under the impression that Taggart killed that guy who broke into the house. Um, in so many words, he said he was saddened to find out that so, that that guy had been uh, had met his demise at the hand of Detective Taggart. And then it, it was like, wait a minute, though. W- we didn't actually see him die. Did he I, die?
1: I thought we did see him die. I I saw him die.
0: I I, I thought it was ambiguous. Hmm.
1: Oh, so. Okay. Now I wanted to talk a little bit. You you panned uh, Russell's acting ability and Catherine Zeta Jones. Um. And I didn't feel that – again, I didn't feel that way at all. And he said, less less Botox, more personality, please. And uh, I I didn't get any of that. I, I'm, I'm not even sure we saw the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I thought that she was uh, supposed to – like, okay, she's she is the wife of the mayor of New York. Of course she's going to be that. Of course she's going to look that way. But that, that didn't detract from her ability to act that part, I didn't think. I thought she did it well. In fact, I felt like uh, she could have been better – uh, like she could have been in the movie more a little bit uh i was a little annoyed that uh as important of a part as it was to the plot that she wasn't in it a little bit more um so I, you know that i i didn't have that you, do you remember when uh i wrote the uh oh i don't remember which review it was now but i i was i was pretty harsh on the film and i said that story was like a blunt uh or was like a uh uh, wielding a good story is like wielding an axe and in this case in that case I felt like they had taken the blunt end and bludgeoned me over the head for two <laughs> hours you remember that and you you told yes. me that I was sounding like a movie critic and and to some <laughs> extent we are both movie critics because that's what we do is we, we we go and see movies and we talk about them but we, we've we always made it an effort to be a part of the general audience and to say you know not to get like uh, super critical about movies but to say man this is a, uh, an enjoyable film oh I remember which film it was too it was uh, Cloud Atlas <laughs> Um, yes. and I, I said three hours because that was a three hour film. Um, I I feel like you're doing that a little bit here, Joseph. You're 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 being critical about things that don't need to be critical about.
0: Mm. I think. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 okay. Here's the thing: is I mean, I gave it two stars, and I, I'd even give the the cream of the crop of the Twilight films two stars. And that said. I actually enjoyed those films I gave two stars in the Twilight series. You know See,
1: I don't get that. if you enjoy a film on some <laughs> level and you would watch it again, it should be at least two and a half or more.
0: But that's the thing. I I don't necessarily anticipate watching these films again, because there's something there that was entertaining, but I look back on the whole of the film and it it was just, there are so many mistakes. There are so many shortcomings of the story, so many shortcomings of the film and its execution that I, I am bothered to recommend it to somebody. If somebody says, Hey Joe, what film should I go see in theaters right now? As in right now. And they, they throw out, you know, the last stand and, uh, Broken City and Gangster Squad and uh, I'll I'll definitely say ah oh, no go see the Gangster Squad totally and then oh, if they shit. say well <sighs> but see the thing is if they say oh well I've already seen that then I, my my honest to goodness opinion will be oh, well you know the other two films you know, they're they're entertaining but they're not worth your money um because and again it's kind of like okay maybe I do sound like a harsh critic for saying that but I actually do believe that Gangster Squad is uh, is it a very enjoyable experience in theaters. But I think that the experience you can get with Broken City and The Last Stand would be just the same at home, so you might as well just wait until it comes out on Blu-ray.
1: Yeah, see, see, of those three, I would recommend Broken City, and then I would recommend Gangster Squad, so I'd recommend them both. But, eh, you know, to each his own. mm so, in the end, ultimately, I, I rate the movie the highest of the three that you mentioned and of the two we're reviewing here today. And you rate it the, lo- uh, well, not the lowest, I guess, because you would say that, uh, if I understand you correctly, you would say that uh, Schwarzenegger's film is the worst.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, and just so, so but you're that not the happy other listeners. Broken,
1: you're not happy with Broken City either.
0: Uh, And just so people understand, uh, I brought up Shooter earlier, and that's another film, again, I think it's very entertaining and it's fun. Uh, We've never bothered to really talk about Shooter, but for the record, a little comparison here, I would give Shooter a three stars. And uh, that's just because, yeah, it's actually a very entertaining film, and I've enjoyed watching it a couple of times, but again, because it doesn't excel yay, much. it's actually not worth watching more than a handful of times and that's, that's again one of the tests of time for any film is whether or not you feel inclined to watch it many, multiple times because then that motivates you to buy the thing and that motivates you to discuss it with others and to recommend it. So uh, that's the thing is there's there's a fine line. when you talk about the gray areas between a star rating at two stars up to three and a half stars, it is it is a sensitive issue. It is much more difficult to rate something between two stars and three and a half stars than to rate something four stars or under two stars, because it's much more black and white. Um, yeah. I, is, I, I get you
1: know. where you're coming from. I, I certainly do. And, you know, the, uh, the critics are certainly going to agree with you. Uh, the tomato meter right now is 26% and the critics are not liking it. Um, just as an example, it is not that that broken city boasting a cast worth of big expectations is bad. Exactly. But it is deeply mediocre. When they say television dramas are getting the better of movies, this is the sort of middling outing that proves it. <laughs> That's just a sampling of what you'll find on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and I think that, you know, of what in my other comments in my review was that, you know, stay home and <laughs> watch the reruns of Homeland. And I don't mean that literally because, um, you know, Homeland has its place, but I don't think <laughs> you'll get much out of watching the reruns unless you missed an episode or something. But yeah. I kind of have to agree with the critics here, you know, but see, that's a funny thing too on the tomato meter, right? Because general audiences gave it a 54, which is still a failing grade. It is, but it just means that, you know, again, 50% is to me an average rating of saying that 50% of the audience hated it and 50% of the audience loved it. So that means it's kind of at average. It just means it's, it's a neutral territory. And uh, to me, this film should have just been so much better than average
1: yeah and and uh our trusty old ebert he's uh he's not super happy with it either
0: yeah don't listen to ebert you making me feel like a criminal (laughs) you're making me feel gross i I need to go home and take a shower
1: i think ebert's (laughs) worth reading i don't always agree with him but it's worth noting his opinion and uh he now his his is a four-star rating system and he gave it two and a half out of four So he's a little over halfway. So you rated it worse than he did.
0: Well, good for me.
1: Uh, all right. Well, that's, that's broken city. Do you have anything else to say about broken city? Nope.
0: But thank you for asking.
1: Let's talk about gangster squad. And now, now we'll probably talk about this one a little more because we both, uh, seem to enjoy it more. Yes. So, uh, gangster squad was a lot of fun. Uh, it, uh, it had a budget of sixty million, and opening weekend was seventeen million. And in the box office right now, it's sitting at thirty-three million. So not looking great to make its money back, uh, at least not in the box office. But I enjoyed it, and I appear to be one of the few though who did. Uh, you you enjoyed it as well. You, you'll uh, for the record, just to get it out of the way, we're both rating it three and a half stars. Um, mm the tomato alert well no i mean that's we don't have (laughs) to do things the same every week i'm kidding kidding. um the uh the tomato meter is a little higher for gangster squad but not a lot it's at 33 um and uh roger ebert really panned this one pretty hard (laughs) um the audience uh again it's a little better than broken city at 66 on the on rotten tomatoes so um I noted in my review I wrote the official movie bite review for this one and I wondered what is the root of all the angst and of the and the low ratings and I have a theory. The foremost theory is that a film this violent and bloody is just too close to the Sandy Hook shooting last month for many people, especially critics to be comfortable. Despite the fact or despite what they actually say the reasons for dissing the film are, it may be it may even be subconscious. I I still I I'm sticking to that. I I think that a gangster squad would have fared better if it hadn't been so close to the shooting at mm, the, at the agreed.
0: I think another, um, qu- uh, conundrum for gangster squad is that it comes on the tail of, uh, the big, um, the big hype of movies that come out that are obviously trying to cater to the Oscars. So in December and in November, you have all these epic fun, really smart, uh, very, uh, Oscar worthy, appealing films. And so it's uh, there's several major hitters that are going to be popular with the audience and with critics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these box bl- block I get a tongue twister blockbuster smash successes, and then you hit January, and January is a time of the year when several movies are just flatlining. They're just bad movies. But then there's some of these other films like Gangster Squad, I believe, was intended to be released for Christmas, and yeah, then they- what happens is. Somewhere along the line, you know, the producers decide, you know what, we can't really afford to release this at Christmas because it will have to complete with the big films like The Hobbit. So then they they say, well, uh, if we roll it back a month, then maybe it will be the big thing to see come January after everybody else has already seen The Hobbit. And now they want to go back and see something else. And so they'll see a film like Gangster Squad.
1: Well, and there was other trouble for this, too. I'm not sure how much it bumped the release, but I know that after the, not not the Sandy Hook shooting, but the theater shooting, that production was bumped a little bit because they had to go reshoot some stuff and excise a theater shooting scene that was in the film originally.
0: Yes, and because of that, because they decided to go back and make edits to the original um, story and change the movie, it actually drew a lot more attention to the film's graphic depiction of violence agreed i
1: i think it was a bad decision i think they should have left it
0: yes and ultimately who i actually don't know what the changes were um maybe maybe you can tell us some more but because they did that it got a lot more bad press and then ultimately those people that that were inclined to hate a film on the basis that it had um negative content they were yeah they, they they going into this film it makes perfect sense why they would have a predisposition to dislike it
1: yeah and i uh for the record i completely reject the notion that um these uh that, that gun violence in films encourages gun violence in real life I, I completely reject that notion because i am very much uh in not 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 necessarily in belief but in practice i'm pretty much a pacifist right and i watch a lot of movies like this and i it doesn't i don't uh anyway but in any event gangster squad didn't do well and i think that's the reason now Gangster Squad is a crime film directed by Ruben Fleischer from a screenplay written by Will Beale, starring an ensemble cast that includes Josh, Josh Brolin, Ryan Gosling, Nick Nolte. Is it Nolte or Nolte? It's Nolte. Nolte. Uh, Emma Stone, Sean Penn, Michael uh, Pina, and Giovanni Rib, rib I didn't practice this one rib rib busy 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 the film is loosely based on the story of LAPD officers and detectives forming a group called the gangster squad unit who attempted to keep Los Angeles safe from Mickey Cohen and his gang during the 1940s and 50s it was originally set to be released September 7 2012 but in the wake of the 2012 Aurora shooting the film was bumped to January 11 2013 release date by Warner Brothers Pictures
0: well our uh speculation is now aside. Hmm. Well, see, that's the thing. It says it was aimed to be released in September. And that makes a lot more sense in any respect, because it still seems like it would be a bit early because in the film itself, a lot of the events near the end of the film take place around Christmas. And there's that over the top moment when the the head bad guy and the head good guy are shooting it out around a Christmas tree with presents underneath, and they're blasting to bits a bunch of Christmas ornaments in the tree and the presents yeah, and, but and, and, it was over yeah. the
1: top, but it was fun you know yeah
0: but but that scene is just a great moment for highlighting again the fact that this is supposed to be taking place at Christmas time, so yeah. assumably the film is trying to be timely and in keeping with what a lot of movies do. So it would have been a a film to watch at Christmas. Hmm. Okay. So well, here, well, here's the thing. Uh, what is there to like TJ? It seems to me you wrote the review on this. Film. Um,
1: primarily the performances were fantastic. Just, oh, oh man, Sean Penn as Mickey Cohen. I mean, I think he was born for the role and I, I lamented later in my review that he wasn't, didn't have a bigger role in the film. Like he's the villain, but we don't get to spend a lot of time with him as much as we might like and get into his head and, and really get to because anytime he was on screen you could tell he really just he 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 became that role he really relished it and and it really worked well i mean yeah the uh and uh even uh ryan gosling was good josh josh brolin emma stone i mean i I don't really have any complaints about the performances in this uh in this film at all
0: Mm. and i have to say as well tip of the hat to the actor's um, commendable job and considering the kind of uh, criticism the film was getting as a whole, I was surprised that there was as much quality uh, in, in the performances as there was. Because it seemed like the reviews that are critical have shied away from addressing its good its good marks. And they're focusing, they're dwelling on those things that are pretty typical in a lot of action films. Not intended for children in the first place. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, not at uh, all. In fact... Yeah, I mean, uh, the The film opens very. It's very gritty opening, uh, where a guy is chained between two cars as Mickey's standing there giving him the what for and telling him, "and This is my town. This is how I'm going to run it. And I'm going to kill you. And, you know, basically, he's going to kill this guy to send a message. And he 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 gives the go ahead, and the cars rip him in half. I mean, that's how the film opens. So yeah, yeah. it's it's definitely violent. And uh, if if you have a problem with that, <laughs> you better stay away from this one. Right. But <laughs> and, I and think that man, the Tommy the- guns are everywhere.
0: Right. But I think with the movie rating system and with the trailers alone, you know that this this film is not intended for general audiences. It's meant for mature ones. Yeah. And it's, it's also meant for uh, an audience that has a predisposition to appreciate over-the-top sensational action stories. And, it, you know, it's based on, loosely based on a true story. So that makes it seem all the more appealing because you would like to think that somehow this is um, an homage. And it's also... Uh, to the original story it's also uh, honoring the true story uh, by its mere existence Uh, that it's not trying to desecrate the historical events or to you know uh, somehow insult the historical events i think in many respects this film is actually authentic and though it is sensational it is nothing like a uh, again, so many other action films incorporating violence, whether they be over-the-top sci-fi elements or they be realistic ones. Uh, you know, you have everything from Michael Bay to Quentin Tarantino to I don't know uh, <laughs> another action film like Die Hard. <laughs> yeah, okay. sure, Die Hard's great. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I feel like those films, in many respects, are far more uh, sensational. And much more graphic than this one was. Because in this one at least, you understood what was bad. These heroes understood that the violence that they had to confront and that they even had to perform to confront the villains was a last resort. That it was not what was ideal for the times that they should have to even deal with such a criminal mastermind as that of Mickey Cohen in uh, Los Angeles. It was not not a good thing, but he had to be dealt with, and they had to fight fire with fire, presumably. And, and so, I, I respected the fact that if if you're going to deal with it, at least acknowledge that violence is not a pretty thing. And they did that very, uh, oh, yeah. very effectively in this yeah, film.
1: Definitely, I agree.
0: In the end, uh, I uh, you know perhaps it uh, we have to think the changes that were made to this film. After the uh, the shooting, you know, back in September, maybe or maybe we have to actually thank the fact that they went back and made some alterations of this film for the fact that it it presented it in that light. Um, I, I appreciated that. I, I you know, Grinchu, it has the heavy handed violence, but at the same time, I appreciated that that they regarded violence of anything as a last resort at best, and uh, typically just a very uh, tragic thing to, that should ever happen. So um, th- th- that's all I want to say about the violence. <laughs> and, and why we say that while we're talking about our likes is because I, it, wouldn't you agree that we were just pleasantly surprised that this film wasn't as degrading as it seems so many uh, other critics are making it out to be.
1: Definitely. Totally. I uh, I don't see this is the thing. I don't mind a violent film as long as the story supports it. And and that that was the story, I think.
0: Hmm. Okay, so what, can I, I wanted to highlight a few other awesome qualities. Okay, go ahead. Okay, cool. So here's the thing. Going into this movie, what can you expect? Is it going to be realistic or is it going to be silly? What is it? And I figured it out in five minutes. And once I understood how to interpret the film, I think it made it for me. And and that was to understand that this is Pulp Fiction to a T. It's not the most exaggerated Pulp Fiction But it is true to the conventions of Pulp Fiction. It seems like you have your classic damsels in distress. You have your classic good guys, these heroes, these um, not over-the-top macho men, but you have these very gritty masculine heroics that they have to portray. So these men that come back from World War II and the like, they are just real men's men. And they're dedicated to somehow protecting those things uh, on the homeland that they they were willing to defend out there overseas. And when they come to Los Angeles and realize that there's corruption there, they're going to give all of themselves to confronting the, the villainy that's going on. So it, then you have these fantastic locales. You have these uh, high contrasting colors and these um, fun little quirky characters like the Shoeshine Boy. And, oh, um,
1: yeah. it well, hey was great.
0: Yeah. It's it, just it, perfect. And you just have uh, some uh, clever moments. And, and even the over-the-top cinematography, right?
1: Oh, all I the, really enjoyed the cinematography in this film.
0: All Yeah, all of this put together just made it true Pulp Fiction. That you were supposed to appreciate some, a, sort of like a... Imagine graphic novel, novels from the 1940s. That's what this is. And uh, if you can appreciate, you know... uh, serious graphic novels and pulp fiction somewhat uh, to any extent as genres then that is what you should go into this film uh, expecting and it's going to just be it's like if star wars is the poster boy for traditional sci-fi fantasies then to me gangster squad is the poster boy of this pulp fiction genre Mm. and uh and to me it, it excelled in every way in that regard did it feel like they explored all avenues and fleshed out everything they possibly could? No, but they didn't need to. That's the thing. It it, it majored on the majors and minors on the minors.
1: Yeah, for the um, most part.
0: Yeah, for for Pulp Fiction, in, in cons- consistent to its genre and its themes.
1: Well, are you ready to move on to the uh, parts we didn't like? Sure. Now, before we do, though, uh, I just wanted to make note, and I mentioned this in my review too. But I just I find it fascinating the difference in culture in the 40s uh you know 40s 50s and now uh in, in this regard um did you notice that every single person in that film smoked <laughs> yeah and 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 we're not talking you know i mean uh we're talking about the name i i can't stand cigarettes and cigarette smoke they give me a headache they're very very bad for you um and just ugh. um but that's that's the way things were then and uh you don't find anybody now who, who smokes, who, who chain smokes, who isn't apologetic about it, right? But <laughs> back then it was just like, that's what you did. It's so nasty too. Ugh. I'm not talking about, you know, like a cigar or a, or a pipe or something. So anyway, I just, I just thought that was interesting. And I, every time I see a, a period piece about this time, it just strikes me. It's like, it's so not socially acceptable to do that anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, all right. Yeah, and, but but again, it just came off as part of, even if they weren't trying to, I don't think they were trying to send a message by any means. You no, know, no, 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 I'm just saying. Exactly, it's it, this character of one, the times, and two, the genre, and three, what people would have done back then, duh.
1: Exactly, yeah, no, I was saying that as a, as a good thing. Now, now oh. on to our uh, dislikes. Oh, okay, um, okay. One of, I've already alluded to this, but I, I felt like there were some wasted opportunities with the characters. Uh, Mickey Cohen, a surprisingly small role in this film for being the major villain. I we didn't get a didn't get a lot of screen time. I felt like, hmm. and didn't get a chance to really because, uh, like I said, he you know it wasn't like Joker over the top from Batman, but he he was right in there, right, like chewing it up, just just eating that role up, and I wanted more of that, and I didn't get it. Uh, and by the same token, I think um, Grace Faraday could have used some more screen time as well. Emma Stone, uh, fantastic uh, job in the role, and just didn't get as much screen time as I would have liked. I would have, huh. I would like to see more of what made that character tick and why she she was with Cohen and what attracted her to Wooters. Uh, what you know, and and, and th- I just wanted more of that story fleshed out, and I didn't didn't get that. Hmm. So, and 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 then finally, as far as characters go. Um, Omera, as much as as I liked him and, and Josh Brolin did a pretty good job with him, um, I felt like he was pretty one dimensional, and I would have liked to have seen more, you know, about that. Mm.
0: Um, okay. Well, uh, what did you think of the soundtrack?
1: Uh, I, it wasn't notable to me. Like I don't remember. I don't have like this. Oh, that was awesome soundtrack feeling. But I, I don't think it detracted because I don't have feelings one way or the other.
0: Okay. See that's the thing. Some some people would say that a good soundtrack blends into the background, and others might uh, say you it, know bad soundtrack is those that you know it gets it gets to be so rambunctious and and so full of itself that it actually gets into the foreground and it takes away from it, it, the uh, events of the film on on screen.
1: That all depends on what's going on in the film, what the genre is, what kind of film it is, what kind of music it is, and what you're trying to accomplish. I, I can't say that that's ever that you can ever make a blanket blanket statement like that. Right. Cuz look, so, look at the music from the Lord of the Rings. Everybody knows the music. Nobody hates it. Not even critics. I don't even think there are critics who hate that music. But you yeah, remember yeah, yeah. it There's a few. But you remember it for the music. That's what you remember Lord of the Rings for as much as anything. There's lots of things around Lord of the Rings for, but everybody remembers the music, right? Cuz it was epic. Right. And that's what it should have been. But for this film that would have been wrong.
0: Right. I, well, okay. Well, that's the thing. In, in relation to the gangster squad, uh, my personal opinion is that the, the soundtrack was disappointing because here you had so many uh, pretty clever stylistic elements and very um, interesting characters to me and sensational setups and uh, clever little action sequences that to me, it seemed like the, the soundtrack downplays the story and its themes and it, it did a disservice by just being ordinary. It wasn't bad, but again, it wasn't, as, it wasn't as engaging. It wasn't in step with what was going on in the film. So in the end, I just thought, you know, this soundtrack is a little forgettable. And had mm. the, the soundtrack better conveyed what you should e- e- emote in, in watching this story unfold, then I think more of the general audiences would get what its appeal was meant to be. Um, and and then there was the uh, another thing was I actually really appreciated the every character in the gangster squad. Um, a, characters you know like Jerry Wooters he got a lot of attention and so did John Amira and they justly so. But I I really liked some of the other side characters that didn't get as much attention and yeah. I felt like they could yes they were fleshed out they had a great screen presence. And they were they they had some great interaction together, but then also at times it felt like they at times and for I should say the majority of the film when they are in the scenes they're reduced to you know the, the to to just being uh, not expendable crewmen but uh, the crewmen of John Amara and Jerry Wooters yeah uh, and and because because of that you had all these clever characters that might have had a more interesting story had they been treated more like uh people and not a crew mm-hmm. and so and, and so to me it felt like they were reduced to being you know uh superfluous uh reindeer on Xena's sleigh and john amara is santa so uh the crewmen are just you know dasher dancer prancer and vixen you know and and they're inconsequential they just needed to have eight eight d- reindeer on the sleigh so they had to come up with a few more names and and that's kind of how it felt at times with these characters that they deserved movies unto themselves, and uh, but then they just get reduced to being side characters in this story, and they weren't given as much screen presence as I would have loved for them to have. Yeah, um, and that would have probably ma- given this film an extra star in my rating. Um, so there you go. It's you know th- that that. <sighs> those are my two largest criticisms.
1: How'd you feel about the end?
0: I was far more satisfied by the ending than I was the beginning. The beginning I thought was a terrible way to start. Mm. The, the, the 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 ending, it, it did the job for me, but it felt like it was a little, a, a little bit at the very end, just a little bit like, Oh, is that it? Is it over? Uh, with, with the final, with the climax. Were you thinking climax or were you thinking the happily ever after?
1: I was thinking the fight with uh, with Cohen.
0: Right, okay, so the climax. Yeah, the climax for me was kind of like, oh, is, is that it? You know, yeah, that, that's I, how I felt.
1: I, I have pretty mixed feelings about the end, because um, while it's somewhat uh, I suppose you'd say poetic uh, for boxing champ Mickey Cohen uh, to be beaten at his own game, at the same time, that's pretty unrealistic. I mean, here he is, he's a boxing champion, and is gonna go hand-to-hand with him and win? I... I uh he he should have uh cohen should have eaten mara's amara's lunch i
0: <laughs> guess i i guess you're right
1: uh and and, and as i wrote in my review should not Omara have gotten in trouble for brutalizing the guy when all he was there to do was arrest him
0: ah uh, i think though uh, excessive force was uh, kind of necessary though at that point <laughs>
1: maybe, maybe so but at the same time once you have him in custody it's not your job as a as an officer of the law to brutalize him which leads into my next point um, and this is, you know, some people, you know, when they talk, think of morality, they're thinking of, uh, y- you know, the, uh, the sex and the drugs or, uh, uh, the violence or whatever. And I always go to, are good guys portrayed as good guys? Are good guys portrayed as bad guys? Is good being called evil? Is evil being called good? And they're just a little bit of a, uh, a tickling of my conscience of, of how these good guys, I say in quotation marks, are operating outside the law and 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 yes you you see that cohen needs to be dealt with but did they have to deal with him in that way i'm not here to answer that question i'm just i'm just raising the red flag a little bit and saying eh, careful with how you portray good and evil and and so that you know two wrongs never make a right and and so that's you know that that just gave me a little bit of pause
0: yes and if anything it seems like in that moment perhaps where You might describe the climax being ineffective from a screenwriting standpoint is that oftentimes you like your main protagonist to learn what is truly deeply right and profound for his life crisis. And then he learns that just kind of ahead of the climax, right? So that when he goes into the climax, he's trying to resolve something so that he can get back to straightening out his life and doing the right thing with the rest of his life, right? So, unfortunately, it's not exactly clear what John O'Mara's position is before the climax, before his final confrontation. It seems like they, they tried to convey that point when his wife has to leave him and leave Los Angeles altogether for her own safety. Uh, you get the impression at that point, John O'Mara's wheels are turning, and he realizes, okay, I, I really do need to make my family uh, my top priority. But at the same time, it's so subtle that going into the final battle, you kind of feel like Omera just wants to continue the the crusade, to just continue his never-ending battle against
1: crime. To the detriment of his family, for sure. I I certainly have those feelings. And
0: you don't realize his conviction or his heart change until the very end of the happily ever after. And then they give you the, the, the... So in the not so subtle twist of, and okay, so I changed my life and got my, my priority straight. Yeah. Um, And and at that point you kind of like, okay, wait a minute though. I felt like you should have conveyed that sooner. I don't know. No, that's what we're, yeah,
1: I'm with you. Totally.
0: Okay. And I think it would have been more powerful had they not kept that tucked away as a, a reveal after the climax. think about it like this, let's just imagine that the ending were a little bit different let's say that when his wife was leaving him for safety reasons, that at that point, Omero was genuinely torn because at that point he, he had the conviction quite clearly that no longer was he in the right position to be fighting this war with Mickey Cohen. Right. But he had already made promises to the gangster squad that he was mm-hmm. going to be there for them. And so he was going to follow through with it. Therefore in his fight against Cohen face to face, Fist to fist, and you know, gun to gun, that it would have been all the more meaningful, right? Because he was no longer fighting his own war; he was fighting the war for Los Angeles, and in a way, aware of the potential of sacrificing his lo- own life for something he didn't feel like he belonged in, but doing it because he was trying to uh, keep his word. You know, to me, that would have been a yeah, yeah. That
1: could I mean, have
0: been more powerful as as it the, could have been much more powerful.
1: You you've you've seen Minority Report, right? Yeah. And uh totally different genre, but this is the same concept, where in Minority Report, it's a very powerful scene when you're leading up to what you think that, that has been uh, – prophesied is the wrong word, but you know what I'm saying uh, – foretold by the uh, by the girl. Uh, you're leading yeah. – uh, what's that?
0: The foreshadowing.
1: Yes, and, and you think you're leading up to this thing that she's seen, right? Because she's a precog. And instead, when Tom Cruise gets there, he refrains from pulling the trigger, and very emotionally he says – you have the right to remain silent. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't go through with taking the law into his own hands, and that is much more powerful. And I felt like, uh, I, I felt like Omera by throwing away his gun and going to fisticuffs instead was it, it was less powerful because he's he's succumbing to his need for his revenge or whatever. And it would have been a far more powerful film had they brought in, as you were saying, a little more of his mixed feelings at this point going, I don't belong here. I belong with my family, but I've made promises. I'm going to go finish a job. And now it's he's made it personal, but instead he resists the urge uh, to to go to blows and he says, I have you, you're under arrest and takes him away. That would have been and, and not not in straight tones like that, of course, but that would have been a far more powerful scene, I think. But sure. I guess they just couldn't have resisted. They couldn't resist because Mickey Cohen was a boxer, letting him get beat at his own game, sort of thing. So. Yeah,
0: but then again, that that to me seems like it was a bit consistent with the genre of pulp fiction conventionality.
1: Yeah, perhaps so.
0: And, and I, I think that that's again, it's it, it, it's uh, one of its greatest uh, strengths it became one of its greater weaknesses. Um, and, and and that you know is again is this characteristic of the genre. It's not there's nothing so extraordinary about pulp fiction that everybody goes away saying, "Oh wow, that that really is something else. Why don't we have more movies like this?" Uh in the end, it's it, it is a niche unto itself. It feels very much noir and uh it's a, it's a very retro, it's nostalgic and it is sensational but in a way that you can it would be difficult to appreciate if you cannot appreciate the nostalgia. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a niche and that's why we, there there's not a bigger following and interest in this film.
1: Yeah. Hey, the one the one surprise, well there was a, a couple of plot twists a little bit, but there was one really big surprise to me. Uh I thought for sure even early on I thought they're the wife's not going to make it her and the baby, they're not going to make it through the film. I mean, it's just they're leading up to this and and you come to the scene and you think, "Oh, I was right. Oh no, she's been killed." And no, it turns out she hasn't. That was surprising. Did you find that to be a surprise?
0: Well, not after I had already read your review.
1: Oh, see, I spoiled it for you. I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, I kind of thought to myself from the filmmaking standpoint, how they staged it, that uh, it, it was subtle, but they actually didn't show the wife was killed. Last no, you but you could easily see that. She was trying that. to escape it. Right. Well, yeah, and you, and,
1: you think you, I think you even got a hint of blood and that sort of thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So at the point that we, you, know, they actually reveal, no, she's not dead, I think just up to that point that had I not already got your spoiler, um, that I would have thought to myself that there was a 50-50 chance that she was alive or dead.
1: Yeah. It was effective.
0: I actually found it a bit more surprising with w- when one of the members of the gangster squad died um yeah uh, that to that to me kind of took me aback because i was like oh really Ah, uh, okay and they had they really set that up effectively no oh, yes. by the time he he was murdered i i really had bonded to that character and i i really hated to see him go
1: yep i so, i'm totally with you but that again that that's effective that's not bad that's effective i think right it's effective storytelling all right so we've already mentioned it but uh i give it three and a half stars and you give it three and a half stars
0: Yes, and for the the record, yeah, but also for the record, IMDb is giving it a 7.2. Thank you, IMDb.
1: You know, I've noticed IMDb is always hovering right around there. I don't know what's up with that.
0: Hmm. Well, it's very different from Rotten Tomatoes. They're just giving it a 33% versus uh, over 66%. Okay, so critics like it half as much as the audience.
1: (laughs) Well, that's, you know. That's That's Rotten
0: Tomatoes for you. Hit or miss. <laughs> well, IMDB or, or everybody on the planet <laughs> overall hit or miss. <laughs> well, TJ, that's a wrap of the Gangster Squad, I think.
1: I think so. I think that's all we have to say. Now, next week, we're for sure going to be talking about Hansel and Gretel witch hunters, which, by the way, you misspelled in the outline. I've corrected it for you.
0: Uh, I don't care. <laughs>
1: you're not gonna like this film now the other film i haven't talked to you before the show about this i've been really busy today parker is also coming out and i wonder if you'd be up for that or if you think that's too much to try to catch goody goody
0: okay yes i'd be more than happy to watch parker
1: all right let's let's say uh tentatively we're going to do hansel and gretel next week and parker so there you go that's what we're going to do next week joseph (laughs) uh people after hearing how much you hated hated Broken City, they're probably not going to want to follow you, but in case they do, where can they, ah. where can they keep up with you online? Okay,
0: well, uh, good people of the internet, if you do not want to find me, don't go to com and don't catch me on Facebook uh, at josephdarnell.com, and don't look me up on Twitter at josephdarnell.
1: Me, on the other hand, I'm very sane, and I like Broken City, and you can follow me uh, to chat with me about that sort of thing on Twitter at, uh, my username is Pro. so twitter.com slash tjdraperpro. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Draper. Uh, of course, you can keep up with all my work that I do every day on moviebyte.com, uh, and uh, We'd also love it if you would uh, find our show in iTunes and rate it. We need ratings and reviews to help us be noticed in the iTunes store and to help people find the podcast. Uh, so give us a hand there and help us do that. Uh, you can also find the show notes for this show. Everything that we've talked about, anything that we've linked to or that we've mentioned that you want to find the link to, you'll find it in the show notes at moviebite.com slash mbpodcast slash 28 because this is the 28th episode. Yes. And with hey. that... The 28th episode has ended. Thank you, Joseph.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much.